Let's go. You're listening to Making Data Simple, where we make the world of data effortless, relevant, and yes, even fun. Hey folks, welcome to Making Data Simple. I hope you're doing extremely well today. Today, I have a distinguished guest, Milan Shetty, who's the president of Rocket Software in the Z Systems Business Unit, is here with me. So we're going to talk about what it means when we say legacy powers legendary. I hope you recognize that line. Rocket has deep expertise in IBM Z, IBM Power, database and connectivity solutions. As you know, 70% of the world's IT workload is running on Z. Rocket claims 44 of the top Fortune 50 clients. And those clients include banking and finance, healthcare, manufacturing, transportation, logistics, retail, insurance. Rocket is now a Bain Capital portfolio company. It is headquartered in the Boston area and with centers of excellence, I think everywhere, like North America, Europe, Asia, Australia. Milan, welcome. Welcome to the show, man. How you been? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for having me on your show, Al. I'm really looking forward to um, this podcast. Well, let's see if you say that at the end. You never know what can happen. <laughs> All right, look, let's start by, you're not really new to Rocket Software. I mean, I think you've been there at least a year. Tell us a little bit about your background, what brought you to Rocket, and where you're at now, if you don't mind. Oh, absolutely. So I joined Rocket uh, a year ago. I came from HP. I ran the storage uh, business. I was the general manager for storage business, 6,000 people, $6 billion company. So things at scale. I was at HP for about 10 and a half years. Before that, I did a startup. My startup, I was a CEO of a startup at the time of its acquisition by HP. It was in a file system space. And before that, I started my career at Sun Microsystems. And uh, educationally, I, had, I do have a doctorate in machine learning. It turns out to be very relevant in the uh, today's world. I spoke not too long ago with Andy Sunis, who was the founder and CEO of Rocket Software. Would you kick him out? Andy is the reason why I'm here. You know, I actually, before the COVID period, uh, right? And so I decided to leave HP after, you know, traveling uh, was just getting too much. My last year at HP, I traveled enough miles to go from equator to moon and halfway back. 410,000 miles, right? And I was just like, oh, man, this is too much. I did this all from East Coast in the Boston area and HP is a West Coast company. So I was going to take 2020 off. That was going to be my off year and I was going to teach. And I said, you know what? I'll just teach uh, for a year, spend time with my boys, uh, drink some Sam Adams. But that was the plan. And this is again before COVID. All that changed when uh, one of these recruiting firm uh, gave me a call told me, so what do you want to do? Like, you know, and I was like, I'm, I'm going to teach. I'm not going to go back into the professional world. I've been doing this for a while. And I said, that, oh, well, so what's your criteria? And I, I told him three criteria. And they said, I want to work for an East Coast headquartered company. I want to work for a boss who I like. And third, I want to work for a company which has got strong culture. And he's, he insisted that I meet this guy, Andy Yunus. Just meet this guy. Just take one meeting because, you know, he fits, uh, you know, he's an East Coast entrepreneur. What can go wrong, you know? Uh, worst case, you know, both you guys can have some Sam Adams together because he's an East Coast entrepreneur. One meeting with Andy in his office, and this was pre-COVID, uh, actually a week before everything shut down. And that's the only rocket year I've met, by the way, face-to-face. -face. One 90-minute meeting, 
I drove home, talked to my wife, and said, you know, I think I'm going to do mainframe. <laughs> it's a culture of rocket and what Andy had built. In that 90 minute, he impressed me. And um, my plans of taking a break went out the door with that one 90 minute meeting with Andy. In the last year, working at Rocket, I've fallen in love with this company, what they stand for, what Andy has built, and the partnership with IBM. I'm in absolute love with this company and the right choice I made. What was it in that conversation that was so uh, profound that made you uh, say, hey, I'm in? Yeah, I think it's the core values. The empathy, humanity, trust, and love. And as someone has said, I actually don't know who actually has uh, said the following phrase. I know culture and core values eat strategy for breakfast. And that was very important. And in every which way, how Andy was describing a company, what is built, right, how with the core values of empathy, humanity, trust, and love, and how they're a trusted advisor to customers and partners uh, such as IBM, was actually very profound. Uh, we didn't talk technology. We actually talked the core values and how it applies to everyday business. And that was, uh, that was a selling point to me, Al. I believe you. And the reason I believe you is, you know, here at IBM, I managed uh, and had the DB2Z business for some time. And so I worked with Andy uh, directly in, in many different uh, situations, deals, et cetera. And uh, I'm staring at some, you, you, the people on the phone can't see it, but I got some poker chips. I don't know if you see, I still have these poker chips, but these poker chips come from Rocket Software. And in each one of them, it's got a different value, exceed expectations, trust, empathy, humanity, and love. That's another one. Communicate. I mean, I just thought they're cool. So I have them on my desk. Don't tell Andy. He, he'll think I'm patting him on the back. I believe it. I, Andy's a unique character. I did chat with him, I think, during the 30-year anniversary with IBM and Rocket the last time. And uh, like we talked a little about everything. By example, personally, is he still playing the guitar? Are you still doing the band thing? He is. He's playing the guitar. Um, we all Rocketeers gave him a brand new guitar uh for uh, the 30th anniversary now it's 31 years yeah. so uh, he still does it rocket still has a band um or rocket band is uh currently playing virtual but would love to play uh in in person uh very uh very soon so i gotta you know the beatles right yep all right what beetle do you think andy would like the most Ooh. I would say, given that he's a guitarist, I would say, I actually don't know who was the guitarist for Beatles. It was, <laughs> it was George Harrison. And you're absolutely right. Nicely done. He, that's why I like Andy. He's a little bit like most people are going to take uh, Paul or, you know, John, but he goes right in. He said, no, I mean, like when I asked the question, I remember him and just immediately, George Harrison. <laughs> really? And then we had this chat and we went off anyway. Um, he's a good dude. And uh, it doesn't surprise me that going back to culture and core values, eat strategy for breakfast, uh, that seems to embody Rocket. So good work there. What was your experience at, uh, you were the general manager at HP. What were you responsible for again there? And, and what kind of outcomes did you drive? Yeah, all of the storage business. So we had about, uh, so I was responsible for $6 billion dollars of uh, revenue, uh, 6,000 people in the organization, 3,000 directly in my organization, and 3,000 uh, indirectly, the, the sales uh, 
functions. So all product, all product management, all engineering, all product marketing. So um, so it was a full end-to-end business. I think a good corollary to that would be uh, Dennis Canelli or the uh, Ed Walsh of the IBM. Uh, mm-hmm. We competed. Very good. So look, you, you jump into uh, Rocket now. Now you're doing, were you doing mainframe before? Did you have mainframe in your portfolio? I have never done mainframe ever in my life. This is the first time I'm doing mainframe. Did it scare you? Actually, no. Uh, I, I, I don't think it's a lot of the leadership values I picked uh, from watching other leaders. Uh, no, not at all. I think the more I've looked at the mainframe market, the more I look at the mainframe technology, uh, the more I look at the partnerships, uh, the more I look at the hybrid world, I, um, I'm actually um, every day get more excited about it. Then, uh, nope, it doesn't scare me. Did you have any hesitation at first? I did. When I first talked to, uh, I like the company which Andy has built from the core values, right? And the, but the day of the first interview, all the way to, uh, I was, I got very curious, right? Uh, honestly, it's just the um, when the recruiter first called me and they said Rocket, I uh, my first initial response was so much. I'm, I'm so new to the main uh, was new to the mainframe. I said, dude, I told you East Coast company and Rocket Mortgage is in Detroit. I didn't even know uh, Rocket, uh, what what the company st- uh, stood for and everything. No, but, uh, but look, I did my due diligence through, I was very curious after I spoke with with Andy, I also started looking at Bain Capital and what was their deal thesis on why did they invest in Rocket? I was very curious because uh, Bain Capital is a, a tier one reputed uh, private equity firm and they do their due diligence very well. And I had some experience working with them not with this group. I did my own due diligence about this market, about the space, the technology, and my um, and I got comfortable with it. Coming from storage, uh, mission critical is what storage also plays in, and mainframe also plays in mission critical. So I had some familiarity uh, on what to expect or uh, customers' expectations on a mission critical environment are, although coming from a storage background. So this seemed more of adjacency from that standpoint. And what I'd learned over time was also back to the core values and the partnership values are so important. And um, so I got comfortable uh, very quickly once I saw the data. What position did you start in? I started as the president of the Z business unit. Okay. So I had I managed with the IBM relationship from a product standpoint. So last year I started as the president of the Z business unit. Uh, so Andy is uh, and will continue to be associated with Rocket. He is the CEO of the company. Andy had two positions, president and CEO. Uh-huh. So a month ago, Andy has uh, given the president responsibility of the entire company to me. So in addition to the Z business unit, now I have the other business units responsibility as well, power as well as database and uh, connectivity business. Did you have to like strong arm him to take that from him or did he, did he willingly let that go? He, um, so this is what I love about Andy is when I was talking to him, Andy immediately went to, look, you know, you have managed business at scale. You have handled things at scale. Help me with the Z business unit uh, and lead with the Z business unit. And, you know, I will um, more and more responsibility. He was going to, uh, he just saw me, for lack of a better word, succeeding him. Can you repeat the different business units within Rocket? Yeah, so we have the Z business unit. That is the largest business unit for us by far. The second business unit is the power systems business unit. So we have 
uh, with the IBM also power relationship as well as the iCluster and some of the iSeries product. This is the uh, this is perhaps the smallest business unit we have, and the third business unit we have is database and connectivity business unit. The core of it also started with IBM. This was the U2 and multi-value database, which IBM had divested many, many years ago to Rocket. So all three have got IBM lineage, but it's their database and connectivity business, which is the multi-value business. It's the second largest business. Z-Series is the largest business and power systems. Is Can you the, tell me how large? 66% of the business. It's fair to say that you weren't a mainframe zealot before, but you're a mainframe zealot now. Yes? Yes, indeed. All right. So tell me, what does the new president, how does he, he comes in, not necessarily a mainframe guy, now is converted. So what is your uh, mission objective at this point in time? So here's the opportunity I see, whether the, whichever business unit it is, whether it's a Z business unit, the power business unit, or the database and connectivity business unit. Uh, which now I'm responsible for all three of them. I think of the transformation of these business units and the customers and their journey to hybrid cloud. The one thing which is core to the vision is cloud is not a destination. It is an experience. And what I mean by that is for these technologies, which are mission-critical technologies in all the three business units, regardless of what platform they are in, what customers are looking to do is get that cloud-like experience, the experience which was delivered initially by the public cloud, but now done in a hybrid way. So the opportunity here is using AI and machine learning technologies to make the experience simplified. We uh, look working with IBM, we have the best data collectors. Uh, AI and machine learning is just as good as the data you collect. So we have that advantage. And now how do we transpose or transform that advantage into easier uh, to use, easier to deploy workload and uh, and connect to all kinds of cloud. That opportunity to me is uh, mind boggling. Uh, so clearly you're partnering directly with IBM in, in that endeavor, I presume, because your strategy sounds very similar to IBM's strategy. That is indeed uh, correct. And I think that's the market trend, uh, which both IBM as well as uh, through IBM's partnership, Rocket Software is uniquely positioned to take to deliver to our customers. I love the phrase legacy power is legendary. The only concern sometimes I have is the word legacy. Sometimes the word legacy implies you know antiquated old and that's not what I see when I look at the Z business. In fact, in IBM if anybody looked at our press release after Q1, Z sales was up nearly 50%. Yeah. As clients were turning into to Z15 for cloud native development. Yeah. Um, are you seeing this sim- same and similar growth? We are. And you know what I like about the space? And I'll, I'll double click on the my excitement about this space and the even uh, the, the, the word legacy uh, and what how I see it. So hybrid is a new phrase, right? One of the things which COVID has taught us, the world economy can come crashing if there is a single point of failure in supply chain, single point of failure. That little canal called Suez Canal can just bring everything down. 
right? And so, and you know, people who didn't even know how to pronounce Suez now know what Suez Canal is. Uh, and they didn't even know it existed, right? And so, so when you think about what COVID has taught us, how much of our world economy and how much of us, uh, what do we do day to day, how much of it, uh, single point of failures do, do affect? Let's fast forward and let's just look at things which are happening in the cybersecurity and the cyber world, right? And let's just a hypothetical situation, right? What happens if one of the public cloud providers, whether it's AWS or whether it's Microsoft, have an outage for a month? Uh, disaster. Business we're go down. We're going, to be, we're going to be in COVID 2021. Yes. <laughs> and be, we recover from that at this point. Exactly, right, exactly. So the more advanced uh, CIOs and chief risk officers are kind of thinking that, hold on a second, we have to make sure that the business critical applications are in the data centers or co-located or and that's why it's not it's not about the destination right we'll use public cloud services we use ibm cloud and everything as well but there is something to be said about system of records as you mentioned db2 right system of records being in the data center being how do you prevent yourself from cyber proof you cannot have a single point of failure you need to have uh, data centers you need to have perhaps reliable platforms such as mainframe in your shops, co-located and hybrid. So the data stays where the data is and the apps can be anywhere. So apps can be tolerant uh, from a failure, but when it, when it comes to the data and the business running, you need to go back to the fundamentals, right? And I actually think the growth of the last quarter you mentioned, I think we're going to see a resurgence of what would have been called the legacy platform or a traditional platform is because your security against the cyber is going to be having running a hybrid data center. And to run a hybrid data center, you also, you cannot rely on public. You know, public cloud's definition of hybrid is just that more of their capabilities in the private data center, right? I actually think the legacy platforms or the platforms which were considered um, tried and proven platforms are going to do a comeback. Uh, And the comeback uh, as long as these platforms have got hybrid capabilities in terms of workload movements, data movements, system of record, I think we're going to see a resurgence of hybrid platform. And this is against uh, prevention of single point of failure against cyber. So to restate that, basically what you're saying, if I, if I understand, I mean, look, the Z system is almost like a cloud in and of itself. If you look at it from that perspective, it could be on-prem or otherwise. But you're saying, look, that will be used in concert with you know, maybe public cloud or, or otherwise, but it will be a hybrid solution. Absolutely. Absolutely. Is, is that I, one of the questions I was going to ask you? I'm now doing all services for cloud and data platform. And the key word is always modernization. What does modernization mean in the Z world? Ability to manage infrastructure using modern tools. That's one aspect of modernization. Ability to be an uh, do infrastructure management uh, and system management in an open way. I think the open mainframe project is very fundamental. So it's not the administration, operations, runbook, and all are uh, using, we're using modern tools, uh, modern technologies such as machine learning and AI. And in a very open way is going to be what that modernization means. And, and when you do that, 
right? The, all your modern stacks also run, right? MongoDB running on mainframes. It can also run on public cloud, as an example. Uh, DB2 continues to accelerate and uh, be the system of record. So all those things uh, will continue. Good, but now your access of that is using modern tools and using modern uh, principles and technology set. That's what will make this infrastructure, I think, relevant for the future as well. So when I led the Z business, I have to tell you, you know, I, I knew Z was good, but my eyes were even opened even wider uh, when I, I led that business. You know, I, I grew up in the data world, fault, to- fault tolerance, everything you talked about earlier. It sounds like you're kind of there from a storage perspective. But I do know, let's just call it like it is, because I want your answer here. There are some customers that think, oh, Z is legacy. I need to make the move. What do you say to those clients? There will be customers who will think that. What I tell the customer is that, look, run your application, which pick your application, pick your infrastructure, either on Z or the cloud. I would argue that cloud is a mainframe on legacy, right? Because it's completely opaque to them. They have no idea what is backing or what runs on it, right? It's the experience how they connect to it. And if they look at the current Z environment, they won't say a difference. They will, you won't see a difference if MongoDB is running on a public cloud or Z. If, you, if anything, you will see the why is it running faster on Z? <laughs> you know, it's the if you if you see nothing but improvements is what you're trying to say. What I tell the customer, right? It's the old uh, if you remember the Pepsi and Coke test, right? Don't see what's out there uh, in in the back end, but if you show the experience between the Z and the public cloud, regardless of what the public cloud or even IBM cloud. Uh, from an app standpoint or from a user standpoint, they won't see a difference anymore. There's so much modernization which has already happened on Z. I don't think I'll see a difference. And by the way, I did this myself. When I was in my my first contact with Andy was in February and I uh, joined in May. And in between, I was doing some work just to do that. I ran an app on AWS and I ran a, um, it was a small Hello World app. And I, I ran an app on uh, IBM Cloud, and I ran an app on an, uh, on one of the LPARs, which was given to me by the Open Mainframe Project team. Yeah. Honestly, as an app developer, I couldn't tell the difference if I was not predisposed to what it was. That was one of the confidence builder for me, regardless of the data, uh, which which Bain Capital and the others had shared. As a man, a secure platform like Z. And the experience, and that's why I said cloud is an experience, not a destination. And from an app developer standpoint or an uh, infrastructure manager standpoint, if we make that experience seamless, I think we'll see resurgence. Well, let me ask you this. What does Rocket do that no one else can do? So three things, right? One of the our tight partnerships and relationship with IBM around the data collectors, uh, contributions to the open mainframe project and investment we're doing on the experience side of things. Modernizing the experience is something which we have invested or just before I came on board, investment was going on and I've double clicked and triple clicked on that. And the knowledge, your AI and machine learning is just as good as your whatever data you have and also the people. You still need the people to uh, deliver that experience. So combination of investment in the experience, the strong data collectors from all the partnership we had with IBM over the last 31 years, and the core values; those are unique, even in the mainframe market. Look, I, you know, from my experience, like I said, I'd say some of the people are the smartest people I know. So, kudos to those that that are listening out there. What's been your biggest surprise in taking this role? 
I'll give a positive surprise and a negative surprise to keep it a very balanced <laughs> All way. right, let's hear the balance. <laughs> the positive surprise has been that how much of the modern tool chain, if you call the contemporary tool chain, runs on mainframe seamlessly. Very surprised. From Linux to all of the Pythons and all the tool chain, which I was used to in my storage world, just works seamlessly, actually. And that was a very positive surprise because I thought... I'm going to have like assembler engineers and assembly code and everything. Honestly, my assembly team is probably perhaps the smallest team. Most of my team are Metal C, C++, Java. That was a very big surprise, very big positive surprise. So it could be used AI, machine learning, packaged algorithms and everything. That was a very good positive surprise. Is that it was not as much tied to the machine as I thought it was going to be. That was a very positive surprise. The negative surprise was... Man, mainframe customers don't like to upgrade. (laughs) Probably true. I was just like, you know, when I talked to customers, so I gave gave saying, hey, you know, you got this DB212, and with this DB212, and we have this like this machine learning, we can tell you when to reorganize the data and when to do it. And they're like, yeah, that's all great, but we're on DB211. I was like, oh, when did DB212 come out? Like, oh, well over a year ago, but. But the resistance to upgrade is something which was a surprise about the industry. Why do you, why do you think that is? Why is it still so core in the, in the dynamic world we live in today? I can only hypothesize. I think one bad experience in upgrade, right? Whatever may have happened like five, 10 years ago, uh, that's probably one reason. The second reason is probably skills issue, is that if the upgrade goes bad, they're just worried that do they have the people in their IT staff who can just, um, you know, uh, recover it. So it's fear, not reality. I think that's kind of what my impression is in the last year. These systems are used for, for sandboxes. These are mission critical. The whole business goes down if there's like a glitch. I don't know that rightfully is the word because I would like to see them upgrade and they could take advantage of a lot of feature and function, particularly if they're looking at, uh, you know, modernizing, quote unquote, and then they're not upgrading. It doesn't make any sense. Trepidation, I think, is in just the mission critical. They like their weekends and to be able to play golf on the weekends, right? You said that uh, you were skilled. I mean, you're trained in ML and AI. Are you using that in your new role? I am. I'm using that in the new role. My, uh, my PhD is in AI and ML. As I look at the opportunities uh, in applying AI and ML into uh, the modernization framework, uh, there is a lot of opportunities which will simplify the, the, even including like, you know, the confidence to upgrade and the others. So there are lots of algorithms in AI and ML which can be used. And this is where, right, these AI and ML algorithms um, are as good as the data which gets in there. But the when I look at the data collectors we have, whether it's the Omegaman suites or the RMF and all these mainframe technologies, right, we got so much data that running AI and ML algorithm is like is like a kid's play. And that's that was kind of, I, I ran some of the packaged algorithms from my old days. Um, and uh, and they just like give insights like so quickly and so impressively that it's an, um, especially in the monitoring and performance, that's a, they can make some decisions like when do you reorganize? When do you back up? When do you restore? What do you restore? Those are some of these like very simple questions which probably took, lot of sysprocs and stuff to figure out, we could actually do it very seamlessly and easily. And that's something which we are heavily investing in. 
All right, look, you guys are also moving and you guys are shakers and, and movers and you're acquiring, at least I know of two companies. One is what, ASG? Yep. One. And what, I think, no, I think the one that's already done is Uniface? Yep. So, so tell me, I mean, what's your thought process there? Yeah, so um, look, and, and these are not going to be the only two. We are going to be an acquisitive company in the mission critical and the legacy space. So as you can see, right, our values are, we're committed to our customers, right? The latest acquisition announcement is essentially to grow our portfolio uh, of the enterprise software space. And uh, uh, Uniface with their with their technology sets in low code and no code are all in the mission critical uh, space. So we actually are expanding in uh, making sure that uh, we double down on mission critical and legacy components, which gives us scale to go be trusted supplier for all mission critical and legacy platforms. And to do that, we have to constantly invent and reinvent ourselves. And uh, Uniphase and ASG are um, just the two, which we have publicly announced. Uh, Bain Capitals uh, has got aggressive commitments for growth. And most of that growth is going to come from strong partnership with IBM and organic, but also inorganic, such as ASG and, and uh, Uniface. Do you have a division of business development that is targeting some of these acquisitions, or is that separate, or is Bain driving that, or how does that work? So it's all driven from our BU and Andy. So uh, organizationally, we have an acquisition roadmap, and all you can think of in our acquisition roadmap, uh, companies which are mission-critical software supplier in enterprise space, as well as legacy or mainframe space are very important. We have a framework, and the framework is the following. I can, without giving the entire roadmap, I'll say, so we have code infrastructure at the bottom of the framework. Uh, we have a seven-layer stack, and there is a uh, security layer. So companies which are in the core infrastructure layer, companies which are in the security layer, companies which are in the open, companies which are in app dev, and companies which are in hybrid cloud. So that's our seven-layer stack. So that's how we define our roadmap. That's how we define our acquisition strategy. So in many of the seven vectors, as long as they're enterprise software and mission-critical and legacy, we see an opportunity, we will execute on it. What does Uniface bring, or how does it complement Rocket? And then... Uh... Why is ASG next in line? Uniface is in the database and connectivity business unit. So still in my new role in my review, that database and connectivity business, uh, it's an ISV-led business which sells into retail and clients where multi-value database is very important. What Uniface brings it is uh, it brings a low-code application uh, development platform. So back to cloud is not a destination, cloud is an experience. What Uniface brings to our database and connectivity business unit is a development platform who can use the multi-value database in a very simple experience uh, way. So it's about the app dev for multi-value database uh, and connectivity business. Uh, ASG has got a rich uh, portfolio. Uh, it expands our reach beyond the traditional mainframe and has also has got capabilities in content management. So one of the platforms of ASG is Mobius, which is the content management which is deployed on mainframes as well as on distributed. But most of the business is on the mainframe. So now you can think of us, Al, right? It's end-to-end stack. We Rocket provides DB2 utilities and tools all the way up to the content management sitting on the platform, right? So it becomes, it's moving up the stack from that, from that layer kick as well. 
the seven layer of uh, technology architecture, which I mentioned. What's your vision as president moving forward to capitalize on everything you've said? On the system of record, which sits on the mainframe, delivering an cloud-like experience using AI and machine learning and, and getting the data insights are core part of our vision. It's the making it simpler to operate, use mainframe and technologies on mainframe, but more importantly, click off a button, get insights into the data sets on your system of record is where we are going to, uh, that's the vision. All right, I want to talk a little bit about you, if you don't mind, just as we close out. But is there anything that was not asked or was not stated? Do we miss anything, either on Rocket or your new role as president? A couple of things which I had uh, lessons learned in my career. or um, Let's let's talk about that now. Let's jump into lessons, if you're ready. You ready? Uh, Yeah, we could go through the top two, yeah. Well, before, this will be for your team. (laughs) What's the absolute best thing that you found about it? It could be anything. Collaborative folks in my organization uh, and collaboration not only within uh, within Rocket, but also across to IBM is the best thing I've seen. It's really refreshing. All right. What's the worst thing? What do you wake up every day and go, God, we shouldn't have to deal with that? We should get deliver AI capabilities faster. <laughs> it's the, I had this back at Sun Microsystem, the... Um, one of the quotes from a person I, I looked at uh, it, it, through my career uh, is he had this saying, he said, technology has a self, shelf life of a banana. And, but if you don't do something about it, it, it does ripe and gets rotten. And so the worst thing I just see sometimes is the, how do you accelerate? How do you bring AI capabilities fast, faster? Yeah. So just like a, uh, a president, you, you just want everything faster. I, I get the same. I have the same same disorder. I got it. I get it. It's just how can we get it? And how can we get it as fast as possible? You know, look, you're in a a very influential position. How big is Rocket these days, by the way? We are about fifteen hundred people uh, before ASG acquisition, and uh, so ASG is going to add. Uh, the deal is not. We have announced it, but the deal is not closed yet. But that's going to increase our size even more significantly. Nice. So what does leadership mean to you? Leadership is a way in which one chooses to live their life. So there is no on and off button, right? Leadership is not a professional. Uh, it's actually, it embodies both professional and personal. Genuine, authentic, and thoughtful to not only oneself, to their family members, to the friends, their employees, customers, and partners. So, so I think of leadership as it's a way one chooses to live their life. And uh, personal and professional, they're all connected. That's something core and near and dear and going back to the rocket values or going to the rocket values, synergetic in how I was thinking about this. Do you have somebody that, that's not related to you that's inspired you? So professionally, I've seen, I'll put them in three buckets on where my inspiration came in. One, uh, coming from grad school, I was it was always like technology, fast innovation, and everything. Right, I was always inspired by what Sun Microsystems did: Java, Solaris, uh, NFS, which powered the storage industry. Right, how could they invent so fast? So, the first category 
of uh, people like Scott McNeely, who was the CEO, founder CEO, on what they did for technology and fast learning was very inspiring. The second bucket has been around operating at scale. I was very inspired by what uh, Lou Gerstner and Jack Walsh did to their respective companies, right? Then they, how do you do um, run business at scale? One of the phrases I think was, uh, you don't get what you expect, but you get what you inspect. Uh, And the metrics, which both Lou and uh, and, uh, Jack Walsh did, was inspiring, right? Because if you look at Sun Microsystems, right, that company didn't last that long, but they were really fast innovators. But operating at scale, I learned a lot there. And then how do you build long-lasting companies, right? Folks like Warren Buffett who have built very long-lasting companies. And folks like, now when I compare that, right, long building last, uh, long-lasting companies is hard. And I think uh, just watching and seeing Warren Buffett has done and uh, and now also seeing very closely what Andy Eunice has done is uh, is inspiring. Oh, it's back to Andy again. He'll love that. <laughs> you know, I'm going to answer this as well because I know I, I was recently asked the other day what leadership meant. Look, I don't know if you read any John Maxwell, but he says leadership equals influence, nothing more, nothing less, which I do believe in. I agree. But then you got to drill down on that. My personal mission my team was asking me this the other day is to be an inspiring coach to to make the next generation jump higher. But I think leaders need to have clarity of vision, the right leaders and reward and recognition. And then tactically the leaders I look for, and my team knows this is one, those that can influence as forementioned skills, ability to execute. And then the three of my favorite questions just to assess how things are going is one, Very simply, I see who's given me energy versus who takes it away. That's number one. Number two is, very simply, I mean, this is a common question, is is if I walked out of here, who would I take with me? And third, and I think this is the most critical one, is who demonstrates their mind can change. That is a sign of of true leadership, vulnerability, with the ability to change your mind versus trying to pour something through and keep pushing it just because it's uh, you don't want to be proven wrong. Anyway, I don't know what you think of that, but that's my definition. Look, it's been great having you on. I greatly appreciate it. Is there any books, by the way, before we leave, that you would recommend? Any good reads? I don't know if you have I've recently read The Alchemist by uh, Pablo. Um, I cannot pronounce his last name, but uh, I read the book. I've read it like now six times. And oh, uh, Six times? It must be a good one. Is that, the one, is that your go-to recommendation? Uh, for now, yes, that's my latest guru uh, recommendation. It's translated book. I think it was written first in Spanish or Latin, and then uh, it's been translated to English. But uh, it's a really good book, uh, Alchemist. Alchemist. I think it's Paulo Coelho. Yeah. All right. That, that's your number one recommendation, huh? Yeah. Well, look, say hi to Andy for me. Uh, I miss chatting with him, uh, and you know we'll have to. We should have brought you both on. Uh, but this is good. Then we can talk about him. So this is even better. No, no, no harm there. So thank you for being on. I, I greatly appreciate it, Milan. It's, it's been good, been informational. I wish you the utmost success in the new role. Uh, but to, uh, in terms of what I've heard and what I know about Andy, uh, you guys are going to be ultra, ultra successful. Awesome. Thanks. Uh, thanks, Al, for having me on this podcast and uh, looking forward to working with you and uh, the rest of IBMers. 
Sounds great. Thank you again. And for our listeners, as always, a huge thank you. And a thank you to our, our producers, Kate Maine and Steve Templeton. They do a fantastic job. If you'd like to give us feedback, we'd love to hear from you. Please hit us on almartintalksdata at gmail.com. Until then, we'll see you on the podcast. Thank you, guys. Thanks for listening to the Making Data Simple podcast, where we make data fun. Be sure to visit ibmbigdatahub.com forward slash podcast to access the show notes and uncover even more great episodes. Remember, the views expressed here are those of the host and its guests and do not necessarily represent the views of IBM. Until next time, go over and out.